Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, authors, theologians, political pundits, media people, and assorted others about the lens through which they experience life. My guest is Catherine Price. Catherine is an award-winning writer and science journalist whose work has appeared in publications including the Best American Science writing the New York Times, the Washington Post magazine, the LA Times, and countless others. Her previous books include Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionized the Way We Think About Food, 101 Places Not to See Before You Die, Mindfulness, A Journal, and The Big Sue Bakery Cookbook. Her most recent book, which was the subject of our conversation, is called How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's a great read, and we had a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I give you Catherine Price. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So... Breaking up with your phone, how to break up with your phone. I feel like this book is a little mistitled. <laughs> Why so? Well, it's funny. Lewis Smeads, who is, who is a psychologist in California, I've said like he's been married seven times to the same woman. He's a blessed memory now. He's deceased. But And so most marriages that thrive, they go through these evolving stages and, and, and you kind of, there's a death and resurrection or death and rebirth. You, you, you know, you, you have one marriage when you have before you have kids and you have kids, empty nests, changing jobs. I feel like really it's not as sexy marketing, right? But it's how to have a different relationship with your phone. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and it is, it's been interesting because when I tell people the title, they immediately get it. You know, pretty much everyone says, oh my God, I need that. But then there is this hesitation as you're saying like, oh, wait, wait a second, break up with my phone. And I always have to clarify that I mean exactly what you're saying, that it's an evolving relationship and that the point is not to end this relationship. It's to take a step back and make it healthier. But uh, <laughs> death and re- death and resurrection in your, in your smartphone didn't really, they didn't really go for that in the uh, marketing department. <laughs> yeah. Or how to have a subtly different, yeah, exactly. nuanced, evolved <laughs> exactly. relationship with your phone. It's like, all right, all right you had me at, you know, breakup. They got, you have to have something with gusto. Yeah, exactly. So you're a technology and science journalist. When you're writing this book, you uh, like Plato's Phaedrus, right? Opens with the whole um, the gods are all coming before the king of Egypt, or the god of inventing is showing all his inventions, and he comes up with writing, and he thinks writing's the best. And Thamus, the king, replies, "Thamus, my paragon of inventors, the discoverer of an art, is not the best judge of the good or harm which will accrue to those who practice it. So it is in this: you who are father of writing have had a fondness for your offspring." attribute to quite the opposite of its real function. Those who acquire it will cease to exercise their memory and become forgetful. They will rely on writing to bring things to their remembrance by external signs instead of by their own internal resources. What have you discovered is a a receipt for recollection, not for memory. Or we have discovered is a receipt for uh, recollection, not for memory. And as for wisdom, your pupils will have the reputation for it without the reality. They will receive a a quantity of information without proper instruction. And in consequence, be thought very knowledgeable when they are, for the most part, quite ignorant. And because they are filled with the conceit of wisdom instead of real wisdom, they will be a burden to society. So you could say that about phones, right? You could. Yes, definitely. Um, I don't know if anyone would read it if you said it about phones, though. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't this, I mean, it's, and, and the irony is, right, like, you're, like Plato is offering a critique of writing in a written text. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that's one of the lead quotes for one of the chapters in my book. It's uh, what you have discovered is a recipe for a reminder. I'm sorry. Yeah. For, oh, my goodness. <laughs> reminder, not memory. I just totally forgot the quote. 
Oh, man. But yes, is exactly what you're saying. It's totally applicable to phones. And I thought it was interesting to include that quote as a lead quote for one of the chapters because you would think it's about phones. Then it's like, oh, just kidding. It's actually Plato talking about Socrates talking about writing. I mean, it's very, very surprising. Um, and I think it's very true. Yeah. But, but it's interesting to think, I mean, we can talk about this for like the whole podcast, but the difference between what ended up happening with the written word and the effect it had on our brains versus what's happening with smartphones. I think it was um, Marianne Wolf's book, The Proust and the Squid, which is about the history of reading and the written word, where I um, read the longest kind of critique or, or comparison or discussion about um, Phaedrus and reading, um, which is definitely something I would recommend. She talks a lot about how Yes, you do have a recipe for reminder when you write stuff down, but the act of reading itself requires so much concentration and so much focus that it changes our brains in a way that that um, dialect does not predict and changes it in what she argues, and I would agree, is in a good way. Yeah, you talk about in the book research where like if you're reading a book and your dogs are barking, that's an external distraction. And part of human evolution is dealing with this, but like the medium itself, the distractions, like an author's not trying to figure out distractions to take you away from the text. <laughs> but, yeah. But, so, but, the, but phone companies and things like this are, are trying to figure out a way to keep you pleasantly distracted like uh, mm -hmm. while you're actually engaged in whatever you're doing. Right. It's very, it's interesting. I mean, especially as a writer, you know, I'm, I'm more of a health and science, health and science journalist more than technology. Actually, the technology aspect is a new thing for me to be writing about. But, you know, as a writer, you obviously want people to read what you've written and you want them to get lost in your prose, but, <laughs> but you you want them to get lost in your prose because they're actually reading it. You don't want them to be pulled away by distractions. Uh, so as you're saying, it's the exact opposite motivation that a an app company would have, or even somewhat ironically, like a newspaper company that has an article with lots of links in it, or an article that has lots of ads interspersed with the text. Those things are there to distract the reader and pull them away from what they're reading, which is kind of sad as, I, as I'm putting this all together for myself as a writer. <laughs> yeah. And you have to like, it's interesting because even the format of your book, it's like, got like, it's sort of you have bullet points in this. It looks like a. It looks like digital uh -huh. the way you're reading it, right? Because we're so addicted that it, it's going to be more palatable if it looks like our phone when we read it. I know. No, totally. That's definitely true. the The um, structure of the book is it's broken into two parts. The first is the the wake up, which is going through some of the ways that our phones are designed to addict us, and then some of the effects they're having us. And then the second half is the is the breakup, which is the plan. And you're completely right. The um the chapters in the wake up are deliberately short. <laughs> the uh, breakup is a 30 day plan. Those are each short, and it's a real contrast to my previous book, which was called Vitamania: How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food, which uh, is a you know typical nonfiction book. And I'm I'm really happy with it. I I think it's a great book, but I just it's I don't know how many people are actually reading it. I think far fewer because it's it just is much more of a commitment. So I completely agree with you. And yeah, that's a, a astute observation about the book's design. Vitamins, good, bad. Oh man, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> um, Should we depends. like the answer? Should we take good vitamins, good, bad vitamins, bad? Here's what I'll say. There's only 13 vitamins. There's 87,000 dietary supplements. And we often use those words as if they mean the same thing, but they don't. You need vitamins. You don't need dietary supplements in most cases. <laughs> This is and the most succinct I've ever been. Look at this. I'm already speaking in sound bites. Oh, God. And because it's not FDA regulated, anything could be a vitamin supplement. Okay, here we go. Oh, my God. I know. This yes. Is, is, yeah. We'll have to make us another 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 time. Absolutely. <laughs> so 
yeah, I think it, it's interesting. You do talk about the way that phones and screens shape our brain. And, and it, it, it does seem to be different, although it's interesting because we're, I think we're the only, I mean, we're the most technological species. I mean, I guess you got our beavers or something like, you know, like there's bees like shape reality, but we're technological in a way that I don't think any other species is. So this is a uniquely human problem. We're always changing with technology, right? Like, but, you know, for most of world history, right, people lived and died in the world their grandparents lived and died in. I mean, because of mobility and things, you didn't see radical changes. Now, I mean, when the minute you buy your phone, you have buyer's remorse, right? Like, (laughs) wow, it's like, could it, did I get it at the right time? So my iPhone's not going to be out of date in 18 months or whatever. I mean, that's some of this is like, we know so much more about the brain and, and chemistry, right? About addiction, things like that. And yet the people that design the phone and the apps know all that stuff too, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the answer to is your iPhone going to be or your phone going to be out of date in 18 months is just yes. So don't bother going through too much, wasting too much mental energy on that question. <laughs> and we always have to d- deal with this question, but, but this is different, you're arguing, because like generally, I guess we have longer to adapt to these technologies have become a part of our life and this is just like overnight yes. and it's all and it's faster and more intense and you know yeah I, th- I think that's a very good point uh i've heard iphones and sorry i shouldn't say iPhones, smartphones described as this giant society 87 percent of all podcast listeners listen on iphone so i don't know what it's about now. so you can say iphones I like eight, the eight out of ten people yeah or nine out of ten or something are listening on iPhones. gotcha all right well whichever phone you were listening on um yeah, so I've heard this described as a giant societal experiment um, that's totally uncontrolled, as in there's not a control group, and we have no idea what the outcome is, but we, we're having a giant intervention right now. And what would be particularly interesting slash disturbing, I think, is if if it does become accepted, which I think it is starting to, that that not only that phones are having an effect on our brains, but that it, they could be having a detrimental effect. Th- that's really scary. I mean, if if that is really true... You would never be able to create a study to test that because you wouldn't get through an ethics board. You know, you can't test the effects of cigarettes because they're so accepted to be bad for us and to cause lung cancer. Although, fascinatingly, that's never actually been proven in a randomized controlled trial because you couldn't do that. Just as you can't really know very much about pregnant women because you can't test things on pregnant women because it might hurt them and their unborn child. And then, you know, you've just committed a great harm so in other words, what I mean is it, it'll be interesting to see what we eventually conclude with true scientific research about this. But by then it might be too late. What, when did you decide, like, I'm going to write about phones? Because, I mean, vitamin, I mean, you're you just came back from the gym. You seem pretty health conscious. Is it I mean, was there like a, a sort of aha moment where you're like, OK, this is I mean, you talk where you and your husband have some honest conversations about being distracted and stuff. I mean, what was it that, why this book? Well, it was interesting because in a way it really was a departure from my previous work, as in it's not about food and nutrition, right? Pretty much at all. Though there are a lot of analogies I can draw. Uh, In a way, it was also a continuation of things I had been doing because I also do a lot of writing about mindfulness and um, meditation and things like that. So it was much more connected to that side of my life. The moment that really jump-started this was about two years ago, two and a half years ago, and I, I just had a baby. And I was sitting in this dark room late at night with her on my lap. And it would have been this beautiful mother-daughter scene, except that she was staring, you know, into my, trying to stare into my eyes and I was staring at my phone. 
And I was, this is going to sound odd, I was on eBay and I was looking at listings for antique doorknobs, which don't judge, it's just a thing I do. (laughs) What's wrong with antique doorknobs? What is wrong? I mean, you could argue that I already had doorknobs on all of my doors, ergo, why would I really need to be doing that? But I just have it, I just enjoy, it's what I like to do or did, I'm out of that habit now. Anyway, in that moment, that's what I was doing. And I had this kind of out of body experience where it might have been the sleep deprivation that caused this, but I saw this scene from the outside, what it would look like. And this, you know, little baby staring at her mom's face and, you know, her eyes are just developed enough to be able to focus from the distance of my face. And I'm looking down at my phone and I, and I just thought to myself, I do not want this to be my daughter's first impression of her mother. I don't want this. Yeah. I don't want this to be how our relationship begins. And that was a really catalyzing moment for me. And that was really what sparked a conversation between me and my husband about our use of phones and uh, he's just a great collaborator in general. He basically kind of jumpstarts all of my writing projects. And in one of our conversations, we realized that this wasn't just us. You know, this is a much broader thing. Everyone around us has phones and all of us are struggling with these same issues. And maybe this is something that really would be worth exploring as something to write about. And that's how it started. That's a beautiful story. When you met your husband, were you writing? Were you a writer when you met him? Yes, I was writing about fish oil, though, so it was definitely a different, a different era. <laughs> Talk about what so you, you were saying lot about of, stages lot of, of relationships. A lot of banaca in the courting stage. Right? You're taking, <laughs> you're eating the fish oil. And he's, you know, that's exactly. A lot. Very intense. Very intense. Yeah, I remember. It, yeah, he threw me a party to celebrate that article being uh, published, and it was like a giant slab of salmon. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I knew he was the one. <laughs> it's all about fish, really, mm-hmm. in reality. Yeah. So, you know, Steven Pinker, the a philosopher slash psychologist, wrote this piece in the Wall Street Journal, basically like recently, an op-ed piece saying, basically, the Enlightenment is winning. Society is getting better despite dark moments like, you know, on any metric, health, uh, uh, mass, like wars, everything, you know, like basically things are getting a lot better. Do you feel like you're pushing against the grain? You know, like my wife and I just finished Star Trek Discovery. I love sci-fi stuff. The whole trend of sort of progress seems that we're getting more integrated with technology. But but it seems like you're saying I love science, but I'm a little wary of technology. Like like in the sense of like discovery is different than tools. Well, I love technology too. I don't mean to bash technology at all, and I certainly don't want to get rid of my phone. I think what concerns me is more our relationship. Well, I know what concerns me more is our relationship with technology and not saying there's any inherent right or wrong relationship to have. You know, my ideal relationship with the person is different from your ideal relationship with the person. But I want and hope that we'll get better at having those be really considered relationships. Right now, I think that phones have come into our lives so quickly that we really haven't thought about those relationships and that's what i'm pushing back against so a sort of more mindful approach to like don't go on autopilot very much so i think what really resonated with me the most is this realization that our lives are really our our lives are what we pay attention to we don't we can only focus on one thing at a time multitasking is really a myth and every second of our lives is basically it's a series of decisions of what we're paying attention to that's all that we're yeah, going to experience. Talk, you talk, you yeah. talk about in the book, too, that the people that multitask the most are the people that celebrate multitasking 
and they're the worst at it. it it's this weird like confirmation bias thing, right? Like yeah. people that like to multitask are the people that are laudatory multi and they're, they're it, it's awful. It's the same with sleep deprivation. The people who will insist the most strongly that they're not sleep deprived are, are probably actually sleep deprived. Yeah. But, you know, so I guess it was this realization that um, you can't remember anything that you don't pay attention to. You know, when people don't remember someone's name that they just met, it's because they weren't paying attention to what the person said. And so when you make a decision in the moment about what you want to pay attention to, you're making a broader decision about how you want to spend your life. And if you decide that you want to spend it on Instagram, I can't argue with that. That's your decision. But make sure that it is actually what you want to be spending your attention on because your attention is precious. I think it's even more precious than your time because if you spend time with someone but you're not paying attention to them, then it doesn't really count as spending time together. Is this kind of, I mean, I wonder, is you, is, which is the main thrust of your book, this sort of call for intentionality but as sort of a pluralistic society where people are in a place where they have to kind of make meaning for themselves, nobody can tell you what meaning is. Is it inherently sort of, is the stack, is is the deck stacked against us in the sense of, well, all right, I think it's meaningful Instagram, but I mean, I wonder like, you know, I, Stanley Harawas, a theologian at Duke says, you know, great traditions, you don't choose them, they choose you. And in and, and a place that like, where it's seemingly in our culture, there's less and less transcendence. It seems right. It, it, lower infant mortality rates, high, longer life expectancies, <laughs> incomes up, less transcendence. I wonder is it is it enough to just say be mindful, reflective? Because do do most people even have the tools to be mindful? Right? You know, like mm-hmm. all right, I'm being mindful. I'm going back to Instagram. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that most people are more insightful than they realize because so so I I wrote this book both based off of my own scientific research looking into all these different um fields of study but I also en- enlisted the help of about 150 people guinea pigs I saw them I called them to go through this plan and based on their feedback I mean granted they were a smart group of people but people who were definitely it says a lot about you you've got great friends I you know well a lot of them I didn't know so hopefully it wasn't just about <laughs> you know associations but um but one of the questions I asked them was to to estimate for themselves how much money if you had to pay for your favorite social media app how much would you pay a week for it and then I asked them imagine that you're spending time with a group of friends and you're having a great conversation and it's just one of those evenings where you get totally lost in the flow. How much would I have to pay you to step away from that experience? And inevitably, those two numbers were quite different. And I would say that social media was like a dollar or some people were just like, oh, I see where you're getting, where you're going with this one. So anyway, to answer your question, I think that people, if they stop and think about it, I really doubt that most people would say that they find transcendence through Instagram. But and you, but you also make me think about um, the idea of the sublime and, you know, that whole artistic movement of painting the sublime and just thinking you can never, or are you very few people would have the moments of, of just total awe that really make our lives meaningful when you're staring at your phone. You know, I mean, this is not necessarily total sublimity or whatever, but I did have a moment the other day when I was walking down the street and I I live in Philadelphia, not so far from you. And I was looking (laughs) up because I really have been trying to look up more and did not have my phone out. And I saw two peregrine falcons flying 
they, they landed on the Franklin Institute, which is this science museum. Mm. And I just thought, that's amazing. I'm in this city, the fifth largest or whatever, sixth in the, in the country, and there's two peregrine falcons. And as far as I could tell, no one else was really looking at them. And I just wanted to run around. I'm really almost accosted random people to be like, look, look. Look, peregrine falcons. I didn't do that, but um, but it was amazing. Anyway, all this is a rambling answer to say I think people do have enough self awareness to recognize that whatever um, transcendence is, it's not on your phone, and they also have the power to um, to pay attention to their their environments and to switch the their focus in a way that might lead to more transcendence. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going and you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Stephen Rowe, Ben Crosby, John Schneider, Steve Lipless, and Charlotte Donlin. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. It's interesting when Nietzsche tells the parable that the guy that's saying God is dead and we have killed him. It's, it, it sounds like, like the Peregrine Falcons. Like when you're saying you want to like grab somebody like, hey, we're, we're and I mean, Nietzsche's not being as editorial as people think he is there. I mean, he's just describing what certain movements with technology and and other you know, the Wissenschaft critical inquiry is, is changing the world. And we've got to find new ways to find transcendence of spirituality and things like that. And it sounds like what you're arguing is that, look, a lot of people want to say technology is neutral. Maybe that's true. But like this kind of technology takes a lot more mindfulness to engage helpfully than a book. I think that's true. I also think we tend to want to see it as really black and white, which I don't think what you're, that's what you're saying. But I think in general, we want to see this as black and white. Um, but as I'm thinking about it, you know, what's the, what's the most meaningful interaction I've had with my phone recently? Well, I actually had a really nice interaction just this week. I, uh, I have two dear friends from college who, whom I don't see as often as I would like at all. And I hate social media. I am not really on Facebook. And one of my friends suggested we, we create a three-person channel on Slack, the the you know the thing that people use at work to to work together as teams. And I was like, I don't want to join Slack. I don't want to use my screens more. That's a horrible idea. Well, then we 
we created it and I love it. And because it is just the three of us, it's not collecting data on us. Uh, it, it truly is things I want to share with these two very dear people. And the other night, I forgot exactly what it was, but we were kind of going back and forth bantering in a way that we don't get to do as, as much as we used to at all. I mean, I used to live with these two people and I just loved the casual inform or informal times where you're just sitting around like the breakfast table making fun of each other, right? And so something was, we were going back and forth about something and I just started laughing so hard that I actually cried. One of those like wonderful, like I just could not stop laughing to the point that my husband came downstairs and he said, whatever you're looking at can't be that funny. And I was like, oh, it is, it is. Anyway, all that is to say that, you know, as I'm telling you this story, I'm smiling, just remembering it. And that was something that was, uh, made possible by the use of technology. Most of the other things I did on my phone this week, I don't remember and were probably honestly wastes of time, <laughs> but that was a really lovely experience and an example of the technology actually bringing me closer with two people I really care about. Where was college? I went to Yale. Oh, nice. Little nice. Good place to go. So, yeah. So it, do you guys probably eat lots of great pizza together in New Haven? Well, I have type um, 1 diabetes, so my pizza consumption is nowhere near no where pizza. I'd like okay. it to be. So th thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yes. But yeah. my husband is from Hamden right near there. So it's like constantly tempting. But but that's interesting because what you're saying there is that like this was a much more, it was almost something more like what you described reading. You had to kind of turn distractions. Off. It wasn't like, oh, just I pop my Facebook up notification because you talk about this no, cut off the notification stage, yeah. and, you know, the, but this was something you had to intentionally, all right, I don't kind of want to do it, but you know, a friend is, a, a friend has a birthday coming up and his spouse is soliciting some like either, uh, you know, pri like it, it, messages in a group Facebook chat where I said, I, I'd like to write a letter, right? Like, which oh, that'd be even better, but that's something that like you're, I mean, there's an intentionality and agency which does that kind of kick the mindfulness in more? Like if, if you have to actually tune out distractions and choose what you want, is that sort of a, an invitation to the mindfulness state of mind? Yeah, I would say that it pretty much is the mindfulness state of mind is to is to be present in your experience in the moment, non-judgmentally, and then use that awareness to direct what you're going to do next. So to be intentional about it, I think very much so. And I think what really, uh, the reason I don't like well, there's many reasons I don't like social media and I don't like Facebook, but I, I want to be in control of what I'm using my time on. And I don't want, I, I just don't like getting sucked into things. And so for me, it's just been interesting to see that this Slack group, Slack channel with the three of us is, if you just looked at what we're doing, you'd say, oh, that's just like social media, but it feels so different. It's not performative in the way that social media is. I'm not looking for likes from all these random people I haven't talked to in 15 years. You know, it's, two people I really care about. And when I say to my one friend who just had a baby, you know, you're, she's gorgeous. I really mean it. It's not just kind of like hitting a thumbs up button as I mindlessly scroll through a newsfeed. So yeah, I think it's all about intentionality. I also really like writing or like letters. When people bait you, when people bait you like, I had the worst day, the worst thing happened. It was so <laughs> unmentionable. And it basically they, they want to mention it, but they want to know you tuned in. I'm kind of like, just tell me what it is. Yeah. I'll I give you a call. Like I'll give you a call. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and check on you, but just like I, I, I feel manipulated when I read. That. Oh, totally. There's so many manipulative things. I mean, honestly, I hadn't looked at Facebook in months. I really don't like Facebook. 
By the way, I friend I friended you two days ago. So oh, I don't you'll take it never per- get a response. I, I, I don't take it personally. No. <laughs> someone took it personally. I saw someone was like, "Hello," dot dot dot. I'm like, okay, if you really want to be my friend, like, don't use Facebook. Also, we met once at a diabetes conference four years ago. We're not friends, frankly. You know. So anyway, I'm probably never going to get. The hey, other hey, thing is, hey, if I wanted to be your friend, I would be by now. I mean, we're like actually <laughs> looking at each other right now. We live relatively nearby. I feel like this could be the start of a friendship. We could open our own Slack channel. <laughs> exactly, but no. I just, uh, I just, it was just so funny to go back on Facebook after so long and realize I don't know how to use it anymore. They added all these things like stickers and, and emoticons you can like add there. I was like, I just, I just want to post something about the book and get off of this thing. Um, but anyway, I don't mean this to be a rant against Facebook. My, my whole point of the book is just that each of us have a different ideal for what feels right for us in terms of relationships. And I think we, it's well worth the effort, both in terms of your phone and your life in general, to take the time to figure that out. You talk about like this desire to have control of what you're paying attention to. Were you that way as a kid? I mean, how does that start? I mean, like, were you a precocious kid? I mean, were you pretty serious? Like, because that's or was there something in life where you're like, OK, wow, I, I, I'm awakened to seriousness. And <laughs> I think I was pretty intense. I think I've gotten more playful as I've gotten older because I was so shy. I was incredibly shy when I was little. And uh, I was definitely an observer. I was always writing in journals. I mean, I also had two braids and these like li- uh, pink and blue glasses with the librarian chain. I mean, it might be almost hip now if like a, a person at a, a 20 year old at a coffee shop was like wearing this, but it was not, it was not at all cool when I was you doing it too early. You peaked too early, peaked too early, yeah. but it's been so interesting to watch my daughter because um, she's not shy, but she will not join in with groups. Like everyone will be sitting in a circle and she is like, why would I join that group? I don't know about that group. I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't want to blow bubbles with you. And it's so funny to watch because I'm like, oh my goodness, there's like a genetic element in there. So she's got similar qualities, but yes, I think I always was kind of an observer and I think I was always kind of, I don't know. I don't like to just follow follow crowds. It makes me really uncomfortable. And sometimes that can be very isolating. Um, but I hope it also means that I live with more intentionality, like you're saying. I don't know. This is a very philosophical. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. As it, you know, towards the end of the plan, you talk about having these discrete interactions. And I look, I'm not talking about a fair. I'm saying talk to the bartender or the Uber driver or the you know. It's I like I'm I'm pretty extroverted. So in general, I'm just like looking to chat with people like about whatever, because I'm an external processor and that kind of, and I, so on one level I was thinking, well, is this prejudice towards introverts? But then, (laughs) but, but then I would guess also extroverts just become more extroverted on screens, right? Like they, they, you know, like they still like, well, why would I talk to you if I could chat up this person or something or, you know, or, or, or build a bigger network? Because I, I was thinking at first, this is introvert prejudice, but then I'm like, no, because I would guess extroverts do it just as much in a different way. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, I would think that maybe part of the reason I'm not that uh, drawn to social media is I don't really want to share private stuff. I mean, I'm, let me back up. I am fine embarrassing myself and I actually like I'm quite open about most things but I'm very private about let's like, just say full disclosure when you booked this interview you emailed me asking me what my key karaoke go-to song was. how could so, I not have asked you that so song? you're so you're I mean, at question. least you're willing to do karaoke and I hope we'll do it together at some point like we'll do karaoke because <laughs> that would be fantastic and I promise when you're singing I will not touch look at my screen Oh. Unless I'm unless I'm taking a photograph. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes, that's agreed. <laughs> but you know, as as you're as you're talking about introverts and extroverts, it does seem like an extrovert 
might be particularly vulnerable to getting sucked into this, not necessarily for a desire for affirmation, but just because there's so many people to connect with. And if your desire, if you really are energized by um, interaction, which to a certain degree, I mean, I am as well. I'm kind of like, I think I straddle the two now, but I, I, I would think that it would be possible to kind of get sucked into this false sense of, of, I don't want indulging is the wrong word, but of satisfying your, your love of being extroverted by doing it on the screen. And in so doing, missing out on the true joy that extroverts derive from interacting with real people, you know, in the, in the part of the book you're talking about, it's some um, fleeting relationships. A friend of mine from journalism school actually wrote this piece about it. And I, it's always stuck with me, but, but the point is that all these little passing encounters you have with strangers, basically, if you know, a, a short chat with an Uber driver, or talking to the person next to you on the plane, just smiling at the person who who gives you your coffee. Those actually have a really big impact on your overall sense of well-being and meaning in your life. And I think that we tend to lose sight of that. I mean, I've had some lovely conversations with Uber drivers. I make a point of not being on my phone at Ubers. And, um, and it's just an interesting... I, I think that really does affect the quality of my day to have this moment of human human interaction and connection, especially as a freelancer who doesn't have I don't have like a work community to um, to see every day. I'm, I'm on my own for a lot of the day. Yeah, it's interesting. One author years ago, I heard Marva Don said, you know, what we're moving and this is like in the early 90s. I think I heard her say this, but maybe early to late 90s. She said we're moving towards where we intimize our technology and technologize our intimacy. So, oh, your phone says, hi, face recognition. Let's do those things, you know, and our connection with loved ones is increasingly disembodied or, you know, emoji or we learn these sort of like, you know, like I, I, I'm bad at reading emojis. My wife is fantastic. So sometimes she'll send me these sentences. I'm like, wait, there's this thing and a can and a dancer and this, and I don't know what that means. You know, like, but <laughs> I know but, the can you know, dancer and who knows what that yeah, means. Exactly. I mean, unless you're in I mean, Spain, it's very, it has to be metaphorical. And I mean, you can really, <laughs> it's hard to interpret, but that, that is weird, right? That this, like it, it, it is this sort of, if you were a sort of uh, ancient Gnostic, this is perfect though, right? Disembodiment you're moving towards, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but what you're saying is often the best, some of the best experiences in life are kinetic, right? There's stuff you can touch, smell, feel. Totally. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think we do miss out on that. I mean, if you think about it, you at most can only engage what sight and sound on your phone. Now they have haptic technology that, that gives you a little sensation when you, when you hit certain buttons, but you're never going to, one hopes, smell through your phone. It's never going to caress you, I also really hope, <laughs> and really hope you're not tasting it. So <laughs> you just can't, you it can't engage all your you senses. it first. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, oh, my goodness. So the number of people who take it to the, everyone takes it to the bathroom with them, so it just gets really gross really fast. But yes, I think we're missing out on that. Um, and it also, just as a side note, there's um, in, ter- in terms of emoji and, and conversations and that, and also our uh, desire to just post stuff and share stuff. I don't know if you've heard of this app called Binky. It's um, it was created maybe a year ago by someone who <laughs> it was kind of a joke, and then it got downloaded uh, at least twenty thousand times in like the first week. Basically, it's a social media feed full of meaningless pictures. You don't have any followers. It just shows you random pictures. And then you can touch the pictures and things happen, like a little star explodes, and you can comment on them. Um, but if you comment, you just start hitting buttons and just random things come up on the screen. So it'll be a whole string of random emoji and then like LOLZ. <laughs> and then you and then you go to post it and it says, no one will see this post anyway. And then it's like, woo! <laughs> Basically, it's social media with none of the actual people on the end, other end. And it is 
fascinating because it actually is quite satisfying to scroll through. And when you realize that, you're like, okay, <laughs> nominally social media is about connection. But if you can get the same brain circuits engaged and the same sense of pleasure from not actually engaging with anyone, just hitting buttons and seeing little stars, then it kind of calls into question what you're actually getting out of your social media interactions with normal social media. This is like Nietzsche's like doctor of eternal recurrence. Like imagine you had to live the same life you're living. This is like a great analogy. Like, okay, imagine this is what you're doing. <laughs> you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wake up call. I just this love that it's like, no one will see this post anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I think that, and again, going back to the Pinker essay, like I think, one could argue lots of hurdles have been overcome relatively, you know, through progress, technology, science, and things. And yet also like the human condition, like the, we're becoming increasingly, at least in the United States, tribal, right? That, that were, it's interesting that there was a study a year or two ago that people were more wary of their child marrying into a different political party than another race. And wow. I'd like to say that's a plus for race, like race relations. But my guess is it's just more toxic in the politics. Like that, well, you know, so that, and it's funny because information technology was sold as the kind of way it's social media as, as a bridge of divides and on certain protests. There, there are many ways it does in many ways, but also it, it, it's the agony and the ecstasy, right? I mean, because for as much understanding and connection it makes, it also increases the tribalism, right? This is why the Russians are putting all the money into it. Right, right, right. It's good investment. Yeah, I think that's very true. It, it has, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. You know, it has the potential to make you feel closer if you're, you know, doing what I was doing, joking around with your, your friends. But then you just reinforce, um, you create echo chambers. And it's especially, obviously, dangerous if if false things are being put into those chambers. And yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you that it would be nice if that was like a, a the um, the study that you cited, if that was a sign that we're becoming less racist. But I, I completely agree. I think it's just that we're, be, we're still racist and then we're also more tribal. And I think, you know, this is totally off topic, but it, it makes me think of how in recent years, a number of um, lawmakers who were more centrist have resigned. And I remember one in particular, I'm forgetting what his, who exactly it was, but he was talking about how his father had been in either the Senate or the House. And Evan Bayh. Thank you. Evan Bayh. Oh, thank you. And when he ran for governor, his father, I remember this. Yes. I saw the same thing. Yes. Um, by the way, it's a recipe not for memory, but for reminder. That's the quote I could not remember before. But yes, he was saying that his father, back in, back in the day, they used to actually socialize the representatives would have lunch with each other or they would go to each other's homes and they would know each other as people and as humans. And I think that, and, and that that made a real difference in the way that they then worked together. Um, even if they, if they strongly disagreed politically, they still saw each other as humans. And to your point, I think that that's what we're, we risk losing when we become just avatars or just names. I mean, I've had personal experiences with this where, I mean, this is, so I used to write for this woman's blog. And let me tell you, if you write for a woman's blog, you are going to get nasty, nasty comments. Nasty, nasty, nasty. And uh, I had experiences where I'd write something for the, the woman's section, get nasty comments, then write something that was published in the main section. The exact same people would act like I was a genius there when they just told me I was an idiot and I shouldn't be writing. And I just had the same thing happen recently um, where I had a piece about phones that for some reason was put into the women's section. Who knows why? And I got comments from men, including phone addiction, that must just be hor hormonal, like these things that it was just like, You'd never say these things to my face, you know, and just to be exposed to this vitriol that 
I hope you wouldn't say to my face. Um, but you feel fine doing it because I'm just a name on a screen, you know? You contrast that with the Evan Bystra. I remember when he was telling the story, he said his father resigned like from the Senate. And I think he was a Democrat. And a couple of Republicans said, Evan, we're going to really miss you. And if you Republicans said, if we if you want us to come campaign for you to run for governor of Indiana, we'll gladly come campaign for you. I mean, that was how close versus what you're saying. So it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. Like you, we become these these people that are. Well, the whole guy, the guy who was taking Instagram pictures on the subway, right, a couple of years ago, and he got a bunch of likes. He was taking, and then his hits dropped, and he started taking mean photos of people and and mocking people, and then his hits spiked, right? I mean, this is we become these like caricatures of ourselves. I mean, on a mild day, and sometimes we become something. It's like the portrait of Dorian Gray, right? What's your online? Uh, portrait like <laughs> if you could see your soul like are you you know if you're as young as your dreams as old as your cynicism are we all like uh, fall like zombies uh, in our souls yeah I think it, it really can appeal to our highest and our basest instincts and that's another reason to come back to that mindfulness and awareness thing I mean <laughs> I, yeah ask yourself if you'd say this to the person in person before you post it but um yeah and I, I guess it just makes me sad to just to see people on the subway or walking around who are just just staring into their phones in a way that I just don't think that they would be happy with if they saw themselves from the outside. I don't mean to make myself sound like this totally enlightened person who's figured it all out or someone who has a perfect relationship with her phone because I don't. You know, I think it's just like for, any for our relationship. Listeners, you, you can't see the way she's levitating in the I'm levitating. Right I'm levitating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I just think that there's so much to be gained by paying attention to what we're doing and to having interactions with people. I mean, that's the reason people seek out community, you know, and yeah, I, going back to that transcendence thing, whatever, however you want to define that, I just don't think you're going to find it on the phone most of the time. Yeah. Going back to the Heidegger quote about science and technology, it is interesting, right, that we are increasingly you know, Neil Postman calls it the technopoly, right? Where it, the tools don't serve the culture. We serve the tools. Like they, 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 they drive the culture. And yet we're also fascinatingly anti-science. Like, like the people, it's funny. Like I was teaching at a, a religious college with, it was fairly conservative. And I said, and, and six day creation kept going. I said, you, most days you trust, you guys trust, you know, so, the fruits of science more than your Bibles. Like you, you don't get on a plane and say, "Oh, aeronautical engineering, oh yeah, like this thing's gonna land." You take that, or oh, you're you're not lined up at the Apple store going electronics from the people that gave us the electron. Oh, like this thing's gonna be worth my time, or you're you know when you get a disease, you go to that, and yet on these weird things like oh, well, carbon dating and stuff. But it is weird, right? Like whether it's climate change or other things, the 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 fruit of science, this technology, becomes the means to undermine certain objective kinds of realities that seem or, or at least like public truths that science is discovering hmm. uh-huh yeah i mean there's it's definitely interesting and i and i also think that um in terms of the tool thing you're talking about that was something that really struck me as i started thinking about my own relationship it was like what's the difference between <laughs> my phone being a tool and me being the tool and i would part of the point of of breaking up with your phone and, and continue or however you phrase it, your evolving relationship is to make sure that it goes back to being a tool that you have control over that you use for, for, to improve your life rather than allowing it to start to control you. You could have called it. Don't be a tool. Don't it's be a tool. tool. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, what I think is great about the book too. I, I think 
and again, like titles, I have several friends in publishing and titles are always so provocative. But actually, it's not, I mean, you do offer very concrete practices, but but you offer them kind of with an open hand. I mean, you qualify lots of stuff. You uh, ask people to do experiments. So I think whether or not somebody wants to take a full 30-day Sabbath or weekend Sabbath for the phone, right, even just engaging the book will change your relationship. It's like the Heisenberg principle, right? Like just observing something changes the reality you're observing. Mm-hmm. Just the something through this. Effect, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, yeah or, or the Heisenberg uncertainty principle or whatever. When you're, I'm, now I'm th- getting into uh, Breaking Bad in my head. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah Heisenberg, totally Heisenberg, Heisenberg, Heisenberg. <laughs> uh, but that sense, right? Like even like just even if somebody wants to have their phone, you know, stapled to their forehead, just looking at the book, even on their phone, <laughs> on a Kindle app, right, will change their relationship to the phone, right? Just because you're adding a, a sort of interpretive element. I certainly might... hope so. I mean, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Hopefully that's not just because I mentioned it somewhere. I can't remember because I really believe that. I think that just the title, I mean, just reading the title, like you're saying, I hope will make people be like, break up with my phone and just being like, huh? That's enough to start to make you more aware and just to look at your phone, like maybe slightly askance. And hopefully that will evolve into something bigger. But I really do feel like that is probably the most important step is just that, huh? Wait a second moment, you know? And uh, yeah, and I, I don't think, I mean, the, the plan is not meant to be a 30-day Sabbath or break from your phone. Um, there's really only 24 hours in there that I offer, as you say, the 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 opportunity to do an experiment by taking a break for 24 hours. But it's really meant as this, you know, like a step-by-step, I guess, process of awareness. And people ask, why is it 30 days? You know, well, obviously there's just an appeal to 30 days, just like there's an appeal to that title. But I do think it takes time to change a habit, first of all. And second of all, if you're trying to cultivate self-awareness, that tends not to happen just overnight. Um, and I think that that's also why so many phone breaks up, breakups, as I'm calling them, fail, is that people jump into these tips and tricks, just like turn off your notifications or charge it out of your bedroom or, um, you know, take social or delete social media apps from your phone, all of which are very useful things to do. But if you don't have a broader sense of why you're doing those things or what you want to replace them with, both um, in the moment and in a broader philosophical sense, then you're going to go right back to those old habits. So yeah, I think it it is a process. And I guess what's really cool to me from my own experience is just that I really do feel like the phone has gone from this temptation and time suck into this prompt to ask these bigger philosophical questions. I feel like I really have been evaluating my own priorities um, since starting this project. And I, and I continue to do it that like every day. I mean, even now it's a little bit crazy because the book, the book just came out, but I, I, I just been lying awake in bed thinking, okay, when this calms down, I, I want to, reevaluate my relationship again because I I want to I want to be doing more stuff off my phone I want to have more human connections I don't want to be doing email all the time Um, so anyway it's been a really interesting process and and I've gotten to a point too where if I see other people pull out their phones that used to make me want to pull mine out and now just that site is kind of a trigger for me to start asking those questions again like okay well what what am I doing this afternoon or what am I what am I doing right in this moment? Trying to take a deep breath and trying to just to like reground myself. You know, it's interesting because you have written about science and health and vitamins. I mean, is this sort of like people like dieting doesn't work if you're dieting to fit into the bridesmaid dress or because, you know, you're going to see your uh, old college girlfriend at the beach. Like you're probably going to binge and like go back and gain more weight. But if you actually 
eat things you like eating, have a decent activity, exercise level things that this is a lifestyle that you'll actually enjoy. Like you can't like the constraint kind of thing makes you want to buck against it. But if you actually see things as an invitation to be more who you are, then then you'll probably stick with it. I I completely agree. And I and I often think of the diet analogy because no one wants to be on a diet and just like you're saying maybe you'll stick with it until that wedding but then you are just you'll be eating that wedding cake you know <laughs> um i think that that's a really good point and that the way that i like to frame it is instead of this constraint and this is self-denial instead of thinking i'm spending less time on my phone think of it as i'm spending more time on my life and instead of thinking of this as denying yourself a source of pleasure you can think about it as giving yourself the opportunity to spend your time and attention on things that bring you more meaning and more pleasure. And uh, to use the food analogy further, I think of it as it's kind of like, you know, your phone is kind of like junk food and you're, you're sitting alone in a room <laughs> with your phone or with a big bowl of potato chips and you're eating these potato chips and it tastes pretty good at first. And you're like, well, this is not so bad. Maybe you start feeling sick after a while, but you're not too upset, but then you catch sight out of the corner of your eye of this other room and it's all these people having this great party. They're dancing and they're talking and they just are having so much fun and they've got this amazing spread of food of the most delicious foods you could imagine. And you're like, oh, I actually would rather be at that party. What am <laughs> yeah, I doing alone yeah. in my this room with a potato chip bowl? You know. And then what I think is really nice about that is that in the case of phone, of the phone, all you need to do is turn it off and go into that other room. You know, that room is there waiting for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, or if it's a tool, right? Like, I mean, this is the old analogy, right? Like, it, like there's 14 clubs in a golf bag for a reason. Or, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Where the tool starts to, like, shape the tasks and, you're, and the things before you. are like, wait, no, everything's not a nail. Like, totally. nails are, this is good for nails. But mm-hmm. it's not for, you know, or slack friends from Yale. But, but it's not, <laughs> it's not good for, it's not a panacea. Yeah, exactly. If, if all you have is a smartphone, then all problems start to look like they're solved by a smartphone. I mean, exactly what you're saying. And, you know, again, there are things that are very nicely solved by smartphones, like getting an Uber or a Lyft or whatever. Um, I've definitely had times where I leave my phone behind and I'm like, oh, yeah, that part. I forgot about that part. <laughs> but if you start relying on it too much, then then you lose – you forget that you can do other things. I had one person who was a participant in this experiment and she did the 24-hour – break that I that called a trial separation in the book. And her comment afterwards was like, it was some, what did she say? She said it was like when your spouse goes away on a trip and you realize that you're actually still capable of functioning as an independent person. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that's exactly the same thing. We kind of forget that, oh, if you don't have your phone, you can still get around. You can ask people for, there's all these people. You could ask them for directions. So many times I see a group of people with everyone is on their phone. They're clearly looking at a map. <laughs> there's 10 of them. And you're like, I, I probably know where you want to go. You could just ask me. It would take a lot less time. Well, it's interesting. This gets back to the science technology thing. Like techno- like people, there are entire cultures that center on navigation. Or even you think, oh, you you know, like you, when you go past, you know, the old red barn, you know, then you're a half mile. You just lose even familiar settings. You lose them. Like you, 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 you become dependent, like in that sense. Right, exactly. I mean, there's definitely times where I will be taking say my daughter to a music class i know how to get to the music class but for some reason i mean i guess i'm like worried about traffic i put the phone you know i'll be using google maps and i'm thinking the the traffic it's not that far at most it's going to add five minutes i could probably do without this i actually do know it's like two right turns and then just keep going that's how i get there (laughs) but you know so it's interesting to catch yourself doing that and then be like why am i doing that do i really need to 
Catherine, you've inspired me. My wife and I have reservations at the restaurant we're on our first romantic date at tonight. And I, I think I'm going to leave my phone at home. Oh, my goodness. I think that is a wonderful idea. Thank you for writing this book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's probably going to help people not break up with their significant others and spouses. They <laughs> actually might connect reality a little more. Thanks for writing it. And thanks for spending some time talking with me. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. I, I Pleasure was all mine. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you like what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you've found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give a, give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks again to Catherine for coming on the podcast. And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, my friends, fare thee well.